This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. It's an open line Friday and we got a lot to talk about. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want on the program. As I try not to choke with the mute button on. Uh, <laughs> um, we have a ton to discuss. Huge day again in the United States Supreme Court. I want to begin with this. We are seeing remarkable inconsistencies among the progressives on the United States Supreme Court and why their progressive ideology is so bad. Yesterday, Sonia Sotomayor argued that discrimination is fine against Asian Americans in college admissions. Today, she argues that discrimination of any kind is bad. It appears among the woke intersectional left There are classes and races of people against whom you can lawfully discriminate and others, a privileged few, particularly gays and uh, black Americans, who you cannot discriminate against. The left is upset that the Supreme Court says all discrimination is bad, government-compelled speech is bad, and the power of the purse does not belong to the executive branch. They are melting down over these decisions at the United States Supreme Court today. I want to begin with the 303 creative case, which is genuinely badly misstated by the left today. CBS News and other CNN are all, and I think willfully and maliciously, maligning this case and describing what this case is about and what they're claiming is genuinely not true. They claim, CBS News claims, well, let, let me let me just play you the audio here from CBS News so you can hear them for yourselves. Breaking news from the Supreme Court, the justices ruled in favor of the Colorado web designer who says her religious beliefs prevent her from taking on same-sex couples as client. Uh- This is what CBS News said. The justices ruled in favor of the Colorado web designer who says her religious beliefs prevent her from taking on same-sex couples as clients. That's a lie. For a group of people who lecture the rest of us on misinformation and disinformation, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, all of them today 
have misstated what the Supreme Court ruled, and these people care greatly about misinformation. What the Supreme Court ruled is that this woman, Lori Smith, a web designer, is prohibited by law from refusing to take gay clients. But the law is prohibited from forcing her to create websites that violate her conscience. In fact, Lori Smith stated that she has a gay clientele already. She does not discriminate against gay people. She just is opposed to same-sex marriage because she is an ardent evangelical Christian and believes marriage is between a man and a woman, so she does not want to create a website to celebrate a gay marriage. So she has gay clients, will get gay clients, but cannot be forced by the state of Colorado to use her talents to build a website for a cause she does not care about. If this was someone who refused to build a website that said God hates gays, Everyone on the left would be supportive, but because it's a website that says marriage is between two people of the same sex and she disagrees, people are upset on the left. There's an ideological inconsistency on the left when it comes to this case. It had nothing to do with her taking gay people as clients. She would be prohibited from doing that by the law. The Supreme Court notes this. Neil Gorsuch just eviscerate Sonia Sotomayor. I mean, Gorsuch destroys Sotomayor. Here's how he ends his case, or ends his statement. In this case, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views, but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. In the past, other states and Barnett, Hurley, and Dale have similarly tested the First Amendment's boundaries by seeking to compel speech they thought vital at the time. But as this court has long held the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our republic strong. Of course, abiding the Constitution's commitment to the freedom of speech means all of us will encounter ideas we consider unattractive, misguided, or even hurtful. But tolerance, not coercion, is our nation's answer. The First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. That is the writing of Neil Gorsuch at the Supreme Court today. Sonia Sotomayor in her dissent, it was a, a, I got to say, the dissent in the uh, Asian American student case yesterday from Sotomayor and from Jackson, they're not well written and they can they have a lot of factual, basic factual errors in them. Sonia Sotomayor today argued that uh, we need to look at the Pulse nightclub uh, related to discrimination against gays. <clears throat> I know there are people who believe the Pulse nightclub was an anti-gay attack. It was a gay nightclub, but it was not an anti-gay attack. The Pulse nightclub specifically was an attack by Al-Qaeda. This is from the Huffington Post, not exactly a right-wing site. Not long after Omar Mateen opened fire inside a bustling gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, the media scrambled to understand his depraved actions. Almost overnight, a narrative emerged that until now has been impossible to dislodge. 
Mateen planned and executed an attack on Pulse because he hated gay people. Let's say it plainly, this was a mass slay named at LGBT people, Tim Tiemann wrote in the Daily Beast. The massacre was undeniably a homophobic hate crime, Jet Heer wrote in the New Republic. Some speculated that Mateen was a closeted gay man. He was likely trying to reconcile his inner feelings with his strongly homophobic Muslim culture, James Robbins wrote in USA Today. There was compelling evidence of other motivations. Mateen had pledged allegiance to the self-described Islamic State during the shooting and explicitly said he was acting to avenge airstrikes in the Middle East. You have to tell America to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. They are killing a lot of innocent people, he told a crisis negotiator over the phone while at Pulse. What am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? Uh, it turns out that it wasn't a homophobic attack. It was an attack by ISIS to avenge bombings in the Middle East. And even the Huffington Post was willing to push back on the narrative. But Sonia Sotomayor today uh, was not smart enough to realize the truth of what happened. I don't know that she cared. Gorsuch just, I mean, unloads. Like, like for example, uh, Clarence Thomas yesterday in the uh, Harvard and UNC cases goes after Katanji Brown-Jackson. Clarence Thomas did that in a concurrence. This was not the lead decision. Neil Gorsuch is actually writing the 6-3 decision of the court. And he writes, it is difficult to read the dissent and conclude we are looking at the same case. Much of it focuses on the evolution of public accommodation laws and the strides gay Americans have made towards securing equal justice under law. And no doubt there is much to applaud here. But none of this answers the question we face today. Can a state force someone who provides her own expressive services to abandon her conscience and speak its preferred message? When the dissent finally gets around to that question, more than halfway through its opinion, it reimagines the facts of the case from top to bottom. The dissent claims that Colorado wishes to regulate Ms. Smith's conduct, not her speech. Forget Colorado's stipulation that Ms. Smith's activities are expressive. The dissent chides us for deciding a pre-enforcement challenge, but it ignores the Tenth Circuit's findings that Ms. Smith faces a credible threat of sanctions unless she conforms her views to the states. The dissent suggests over and over again that any burden on speech here is incidental, all despite the Tenth Circuit's findings that Colorado intends to force Ms. Smith to convey a message she does not believe with the very purpose of eliminating ideas that differ from its own. Nor does the dissent's reimagining end there. It claims that for the first time in its history, the court grants a business open to the public a right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Never mind that we do not do no such thing in Colorado itself has stipulated Ms. Smith will work with all people regardless of sexual orientation. Never mind, too, that it is the dissent that would have this court do something truly novel by allowing a government to coerce an individual to speak contrary to her beliefs on a significant issue of personal conviction all in order to eliminate ideas that differ from its own. There's still more. The dissent asserts that we sweep under the rug petitioner's challenge to the Colorado uh, Civil Rights uh, Communication Clause, this despite the fact that parties and the Tenth Circuit recognize that Ms. Smith's Communications Clause challenge hinges on her Accommodation Clause challenge. The dissent even suggests that our decision today is akin to endorsing a separate but equal regime that would allow law firms to refuse women admission into partnership, restaurants to deny service to black Americans, or businesses seeking employees 
to post anything like a white applicants only sign. In some places, the dissent gets so turned around about the facts that it opens fire on its own position. For instance, while stressing that a Colorado company cannot refuse the full and equal enjoyment of its services based on a customer's protected status, the dissent argues, assures us that a company selling creative services to the public does have a right to decide what messages to include or not to include. But if that is true, why are we even debating? Instead of addressing the party's stipulations about the case actually before us, the dissent spends much of its time adrift on a sea of hypotheticals about photographers, stationers, and others asking if they too provide expensive service, expressive services covered by the First Amendment. But those cases are not this case. Doubtless, determining what qualifies as expressive activity protected by the First Amendment can sometimes raise difficult questions. But this case presents no complications of that kind. The parties together have stipulated that Ms. Smith seeks to engage in expressive activity. The Tenth Circuit has recognized her services involve pure speech. Nothing the dissent says can alter this, nor can it displace the First Amendment protections that follow. The dissent's treatment of precedent parallels its handling of the facts. Take its remarkable suggestion that a government forcing an individual to create speech on weighty issues with which she disagrees, all, as the Tenth Circuit found, with the goal of eliminating views it does not share, only incidentally burdens First Amendment liberties. Far from embracing a notion like that, our cases have rejected it time after time, including in the context of public accommodation laws. No government may affect a speaker's own message by forcing her to accommodate views she does not hold. Using a public accommodations law to compel parade organizers to include speech they do not believe was no mere incidental infringement on First Amendment rights. Employing a public accommodation law to require the Boy Scouts to alter their admissions policies had more than incidental effect on protected speech. It just goes on and on and on. The vapid shallowness. The vapid shallowness of Sotomayor, who yesterday said discrimination is okay, and today says discrimination is bad, all because she likes one minority group and doesn't like another minority group. But that wasn't the only case today, was it? There's also the student loan case. And in a 6-3 decision written by John Roberts, who also wrote the Harvard-UNC case yesterday, he says the government the president at least, cannot forgive student loans without Congress being involved. And the left is melting down over that as well. So to end this segment where I began it, the progressives in America are today upset. The Supreme Court says discrimination is bad, compelled speech is bad, and the power of the purse still belongs to Congress, not to a dictatorial executive. And they're upset about that. Um, who are the authoritarians in America? I want to take your phone calls here in just a moment, but I, let me get this off my chest first. So be patient with me. 877-973-7425. It is a free for all open line Friday. So you can call in about anything. I, I, I'm happy to answer your questions though on the Supreme court decisions today. I, I'm going to spend a lot of time on them, including the student loan one, but I, I got to say this. When Donald Trump was president of the United States, I argued that the left would ultimately elect someone who would be their Donald Trump, and they would never possess the intellectual honesty 
to admit it, nor would they try to hold that person accountable. I get asked all of the time, uh, when are you going to talk about the authoritarians on the right? And I do regularly. When the hell will you people talk about the authoritarians on the left? You're upset that Donald Trump and his supporters tried to undermine the electoral processes of the United States, the Electoral College, and they stormed into Congress on January 6th, and you want it all condemned. But all of you people over the last 48 hours have been engaged in a systemic campaign to undermine the integrity of the Supreme Court because you are not transactionally getting your way. You have maligned the justices, attacked the justices, slandered the justices, and lied about the justices, and have now come out and denounced them and said they are not, in the words of Joe Biden, a normal court. Joe Biden is doing to the Supreme Court what Donald Trump did to the Electoral College, and you people are applauding it because you're actually no better than the people you dislike. Yesterday, you progressives actually argued that it should be constitutional in the United States to racially discriminate against Asian Americans. Today, you are arguing that the government should have the power to compel people to speak in certain ways and be silent on issues the government disagrees with, and you are upset the President of the United States could not unilaterally bail out student loans without Congress's involvement despite it being a taxpayer issue in Congress and the power of the purse. You are no better than the people you hate. In fact, you are the mirror image of them and you lack the intellectual honesty to say it. You want me to hold my side accountable? I do. And you people say jack when it comes to holding the authoritarians on your side accountable for anything. In fact, you applaud the authoritarianism and lament when you are denied the power to do unilaterally what you want. One of the groups that's out there stopping the authoritarians on the left is Americans for Prosperity. They have actually been involved in these cases before the Supreme Court on student debt and other cases. I hope you, too, will stand with them. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. Uh, whether it is the 303 Creative case and the right to speak or not be compelled to speak or the Nebraska versus Biden case on student loans, AFP has played a role. And they want you on their side as a conservative activist helping them. Reach out to them, americansforprosperity.org Americansforprosperity slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with Americans for Prosperity. Learn to be a more effective conservative activist for the causes you care about around the country. Americansforprosperity.org slash uh, E-R-I-C-K. They have 36 chap state chapters. They're growing in the states where they don't have chapters. They got 4 million activists working with them, and they want you to be one of them. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go check them out today and learn to be a more effective conservative activist fighting for limited government, free markets, and free people. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It's Open Line Friday here at the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, would love to have you with me. And I gotta, I want to go to phone calls before. Let me just play you quickly this audio from MSNBC. So, so, Kenji, remember, the Biden administration had argued that they did have this emergency power authority through the HEROES Act and that there was precedent after 9-11. And in fact, Congress had reaffirmed the HEROES Act, expanded it in 2003. Congress, the, the legislature, uh, also uh, made it permanent in 2007. So I'm just I'm not understanding why it didn't apply here. 
Right. And so the court, you know, as I scan, scan the opinion, is taking a very literalist, you know, vision of the HEROES Act. So the HEROES Act in 2003 says, uh, uses the words wave or modify. And cancellation is seen to go beyond sort of wave or modify, right, in the court's view of canceling this debt. So I think it's a kind of bridge too far kind of argument. I just want to say a couple of things on that. You know, I think Elizabeth Prelogar, the Solicitor General coming in for the government, uh, did an amazing job during an oral argument and saying, like, the real sort of key provision of the HEROES Act is emergency. Like, if there's an emergency, mm -hmm. then you get to waive or modify. And here they're and using the COVID emergency. Yeah, and waive, to me, seems like a very broad word. You know, in oral argument, there's a lot of back and forth about whether modify. Like, you know, the chief sort of quoted Justice Scalia saying, like, I suppose the French Revolution might have been said to modify the status quo in France, but that would be a stretch of that word and would only be used tongue-in-cheek. Okay. But wave is also there, mm -hmm. and wave is an actually very broad word, right? So I just need to say this to the progressives who listen to this program. You will come away from MSNBC being a more stupid person. It will actually dumb you down. There is no difference from your average MSNBC commentary and a Steve Bannon commentary about the right. You will come away with a uh, deeply uh, demented and dumb worldview. You will come away more shallow, more vapid, more poorly informed, uh, more ignorant about the world around you. Uh, whether you're watching like far right commentary on some of those fringy streaming programs or MSNBC, you come away brain damaged. Listening to the people on MSNBC try to explain the Supreme Court's reasoning over the last 48 hours is like listening to kindergartners trying to explain uh, galactic physics and what black holes are, do, and how they function uh, using quantum physics. It, it just simply doesn't compute. I urge you, for the sake of your IQ and sanity, Stop listening to those far-right fringy streamers and stop listening to MSNBC. The difference between the two is that the far-right streamers have to rely on the internet to get the word out. MSNBC is a product of Comcast cable. So the right does not mainstream platform the people who make you stupid and lower your IQ, but the left does through Comcast. That's a fundamental difference here. I mean, you come away from the commentary on MSNBC over the last 48 hours, genuinely more stupid than you went into it. It's remarkable how they can't even be honest about what the court ruled and why. I mean, they are lying for a network that lectures us repeatedly on misinformation and disinformation. It's all they've done in the last 48 hours, regardless of how they view the outcome of the cases, they have willfully misrepresented the way the court has actually ruled on all these cases, from affirmative action to the student loans to the 303 creative thing, you come away believing stuff that is factually not true by listening to MSNBC. Stop doing that to your brain progressives. You've already got a stupid worldview enough. This just makes it worse. Now, let's go to the phones. Uh, Lee, you're going to be up first. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you very much, Sure. Just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate that you've taken time over the last couple of days to delve into and actually read some of these rulings. 
Because it scares me to death what, you know, mainstream news people are getting told about it. I mean, Van Jones was beside himself and just ridiculous earlier. So I just yeah. want to say thank you. Oh, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, it, it it's I, I'm... Listen, I understand, like yesterday, we had several callers who emotionally, viscerally reacted against the Supreme Court striking down affirmative action. I understand the emotion, but understand the facts. Harvard and the University of North Carolina were actively discriminating against a minority group. Black Americans say, well, we had slavery. Asian Americans say, well, we had internment camps. One the minority on the court said you can discriminate against and one you can't. What's the difference? They're both non-white minorities in this country who the white majorities have done bad things to, and yet the the three liberals on the Supreme Court could offer no justification. I'll tell you, by the way, the most striking thing to me about yesterday on the Supreme Court is Elena Kagan's silence. That's something you you gotta you gotta understand here. Elena Kagan doesn't hold her tongue much. She's willing to write dissents. In fact, she's written dissents on these cases that came out: the three hundred three creative case uh, and the uh, student loan case. She was actually the vocal dissent on the uh, student loan case. I, I think she wrote one on the on the other. Um, nonetheless, what I found really striking was that. Elena Kagan did not write a dissent in the affirmative action case. She joined the my, the dissent, but she didn't write a dissent. And the two dissents from Sotomayor and Jackson were actually very poorly written, just objectively as someone who is a lawyer who reads these cases and reads them. They were actually really poorly argued. There were arguments they could have made, but they were very bad arguments. And Elena Kagan sided with them but didn't write her own, and she's vastly smarter than most members of the court left or right, and that she refused to write anything to defend her position is telling me she knew how weak her position was, even though she sided with the progressives on affirmative action. Okay, let's go to John. You're up next. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Eric. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I I just made a point to your person uh, that if Barack Obama had done a, a much better job and didn't promote violence on the streets of America and lose people in Benghazi, the Democrats would have had a better chance of getting a new Democrat elected. Ultimately, they're responsible for the makeup of the Supreme Court because Barack Obama caused Trump and Trump got the opportunity to appoint three justices. You can't blame anybody yeah, on the right. You're Look, oh, John, I, I listen, I, that is well said, but we're missing one big thing here, and I appreciate it. Uh, by the way, um, you do have to thank Mitch McConnell. You may not like Mitch McConnell, but his decision to refuse to even hold a hearing on Merrick Garland continues to pay off, and Mitch McConnell being able to plow through the Senate Democrats and rush Amy Coney Barrett uh, is continuing to pay off. Mitch McConnell did those things. Certainly Trump appointed uh, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Uh, He did so with the advice and consent of a Senate uh, where Mitch McConnell ruled the roost and was able to block Merrick Garland. But, dear friends, today 
we need to we need to do something. We need to toast, honor, and recognize deceased Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's hubris, we would not be in this position today. Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the opportunity when Barack Obama was president of the United States to step aside and allow Barack Obama to make her replacement. But the left in this country built up St. Ruth. They, they made her into a hero. The notorious RBG, they called her. They put her image and likeness on shirts and coffee cups. They celebrated her as a hero. They flew her around the world on private jets, and they nursed her in her sickness, and they affirmed her, Ruth, 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 and Ruth believed the praise. It fed Ruth Bader Ginsburg's ego. And so she stayed. And oh, they celebrated Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth, 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 Ruth. The notorious RBG in her sickness, she battled the right and she continued to turn out minority dissent opinions on the Supreme Court that ruthlessly and intellectually sabotaged, gutted, and the right and affirmed all the left's core convictions, and they praised her. Ruth, 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 Ruth. And then Donald Trump got elected. And all Ruth Bader Ginsburg could do is struggle to stay alive. Because her ego, her vanity, and the cheers of the progressive left that made her the feminist progressive icon. They convinced her she was indispensable. She believed the press. She believed the praise. And she stayed. And then she died. And she couldn't because of her health struggles. God bless her. She struggled at the end. She tried to push through. She tried to wait. She tried most valiantly to hang on to Joe Biden. And she couldn't do it. She could have stepped aside with Barack Obama. She was given the opportunity and she was encouraged, but no, no. She was the notorious RBG, they told her. No, no, she was St. Ruth. She was St. Ruth, notorious RBG, but for her, the court would be without the intellectually iconic voice. And so she had to stay. And in the end, because of her ego, because she believed the praises of the left, and she could not summon the will to depart to save the left and to save the court, instead, she allowed the conservative majority to become well, ruthless. She deserves a lot of praise for that. I applaud Ruth Bader Ginsburg for sticking around and letting the conservatives dominate the court. Now, before we go to break, let us sing the praises of Advantage Gold. 
If you're interested at all in using precious metals as part of your portfolio for your 401k, your IRA, or your general investments, reach out to Advantage Gold. 800-450-2566 is their phone number. They are TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company seven years in a row. They got the best prices, the best staff. They got the best information out there on how to use precious metals, and you can buy from them. Call them at least at 800-450-2566. Get their free gold IRA investment kit. They will teach you everything you need to know. Remember, the IRS has rules for compliance and how you store precious metals as part of a 401k or an IRA. you got to comply with them or they don't count as part of your portfolio and you can get taxed on them. you got to be careful. Advantage Gold, without gimmicks, a lot of education, a lot of information. They make it easy for you and they give you good deals if you want to buy those precious metals. 800-450-2566. One more time, 800-450-2566. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. I sure hope you reach out to them. If you're in charge of the finances of a business and that business needs $250,000 or more because you're buying a building or building a building or you're buying out a franchise, buying into a franchise, expanding a franchise, that's the sort of deals they do. Uh, Reach out to them anywhere in the nation, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Okay, back to the phones we go. Shirley, waiting patiently. You're up next. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fine. I'm looking forward to your gathering in August. Well, thank and you. There's a, um, I went to the one in 2019, and I saw with, with Pence. I went to your red state in 2016, met Tom Cruise, Tom, Ted Cruz's wife. Very informative. Anyhow, I have a question I would like you to ask the candidates. Okay. I would, right now, everybody's so focused on Biden being the Democrat nominee. I don't think it's going to happen. So I would like you to ask the people how would their campaign change if they were going against Newsom or Kennedy or anybody else besides Biden? You know, that's a good question. I will I will make a note and I will, uh, I will try to work that question in with them because, I mean, just given the way things are going right now, there's no guarantee that man's going to be around by this time next year. I, I don't know. By the way, uh, Shirley, I, I don't know if any of y'all saw. He, he walked off the MSNBC set awkwardly yesterday. They were interviewing him. And Nicole Wallace never, never, never asked him about Hunter Biden. Again, the media is obsessed with Fox News, and truly, the reason the media is obsessed with Fox News is because Fox News is so dominant and contradicts all of them, and they don't like it. MSNBC, I mean, you really, people, you get dumber by watching MSNBC, and Fox has a newscast during the day, and the newscast during the day are actually really good and informative. At MSNBC, it's just a bunch of liberal dreck the entire day. And it's a damning indictment on the rest of the press that they obsess over Fox News as opposed to even noting just how ridiculously stupid MSNBC is on a daily basis. I mean, just I I have pulled and listened to clips on MSNBC. Well, I, I, I should be honest. That's where I went this morning when the Supreme Court cases were being announced because I knew it would make me laugh. Their tears would make me laugh. I I would love to freeze their tears and live on them all summer like licking an ice cube. I mean, it's just amazing how despondent they were over these Supreme Court cases. Now, when we come back, I got to spend a little more time breaking these down. Particularly, I haven't even gotten into the student loan one yet. Uh, So in the next hour, 
I want to talk about the student loan bailout. It is dead. I want to read for you some of the Supreme Court majority opinion and also Elena Kagan's response. This is one of the ones where she wrote a response. She thinks it's defensible. I disagree. Her hypotheticals are kind of nutty in it. Uh, but nonetheless, she 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 speculates what happens on a nuclear attack on Chicago. Yes, not making that up uh, to drive the hysteria home. We got to get into that one. There's more on the affirmative action case, by the way, that's come out. In fact, some of you have reached out to me and said, based on John Roberts's language, that, well, because they can consider essays and how race affected people in their essays, won't that just be a backdoor way around racial preferences and they'll still be able to do the same thing? Undoubtedly, they will try. But there's something you miss about the Supreme Court analysis that I want to explain to you on why it's going to be really hard for them to do that. And then, of course, well, we got the political fallout. The Democrats furious with the court. They're back to talking about court packing today because they didn't get what they want. So I, I, I want to engage you on all those things. And I also want to take your phone calls. It is an open line Friday. I know a lot of you, you tried to get through yesterday on the affirmative action case and couldn't. We've got big court cases today. I'm happy to take your questions on them. I have read them as best I can. 877-973-7425. And if we get time, I want to spend a little more time on Robert Kennedy Jr. The New York Times actually has a big profile of him where people who distrust government and have begun to embrace conspiracy theories across the board, left, right, and center, they're gravitating towards this man who believes some really whacked out stuff, but also gives voice to people who increasingly distrust the government and are more prone to believing conspiracies as a way to avoid believing the government. I continue to believe that the Democrats are subtly, silently pushing him to undermine not Joe Biden, but to undermine Donald Trump. I'll tell you why.